there. You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with co-lead pastors Courtney Clark and Megan Lawton. Enjoy the sermon. God, thank you um, that we're, for the people who are here today, um, and we're just able to spend time together this morning. I just pray that um, we can find something to take with us uh, into our week. In your name, amen. So like Megan said, we are on part three of our four-part series on Luke. Um, So the first week we talked about Elizabeth. Uh, Last week we talked about Mary. This week we're talking about widows in the book of Luke. So kind of recap some history. Um, So we know that Luke and Acts are attributed to this person named Luke, um, which we kind of piece together to just give that person the credit. Um, no one really actually knows who wrote it. Um, so that's, that's just who we're going to say it was. There's some speculation that Luke might even be a woman just because of the things that we've been talking about, of his inclusion of women or her inclusion of women, and just kind of the focus on making sure that everyone's included and invited to the spaces where Jesus is, uh, which is a little different than what we see in other places of the Bible. Luke has more stories about women. He has women that are not included anywhere else in the Bible, like Elizabeth, or some of the women we're going to talk about today, or like Mary. We see her in other Gospels, but she's not given her own personhood. She's not given her own personality. But in Luke, she's given a lot of detail. She's given a song that we're going to actually sing later. Um, so she's, she has more development, more character development in the book of Luke than we find in the other Gospels. Um, and there's some, like I said, speculation on who wrote the book of Luke, but more so on is Luke actually inclusive of women? So we have these characters that are introduced and we have women that are talked about more than they are in other spaces, but does it necessarily mean that Luke is like pro-women and pro the inclusion of women in ministry? And theologians don't agree. There's arguments on both sides, but one thing that we can all agree on is that there are definitely more women in Luke than there are anywhere else. So one of Luke's underlying themes throughout the books of Luke and Acts is this radical inclusive love that the gospel message carries for the marginalized and the forgotten. So groups like women, widows, foreigners, orphans, um, other marginalized communities that we talk about today that necessarily didn't have space um, in this time period. And Luke mentions particularly widows 12 times nine times in the book of Luke, and three times in the book of Acts. So in comparison to the other Gospels, we have John doesn't mention widows at all. Matthew mentions widows one time. Mark mentions them only three times. So we get a sense here, again, that Luke cares particularly about widows, not just because they're a marginalized group, but something about this particular marginalized group stands out to him in a way that he mentions them several times throughout um, this book. The first two chapters in the book of Luke paint women in a really strong light. We ha- like I said, we talked about Elizabeth and we talked about Mary. And they're both given very powerful prophetic speeches. And they're painted to be strong and educated and powerful and involved in the story and the life and the birth of John and Jesus. And then we go into, as we get into chapter 2, we're introduced to another female character that's found nowhere else. Her name is a wid- um, Anna. She's a widow and she's said to be a prophet. So in this part of the story, jo- uh, sorry, Mary and Joseph, her husband, take Jesus to what would be like a purification ceremony. He's about eight weeks old, 
and they're just following rituals. And normally there are two witnesses to the ceremony, both of them men. But in this case, one of them is a woman. The first witness is Simeon, and the second one is the widow, Anna. So we find her story. She only is given two very small verses, but we find her in uh, chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. So it says, There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribes of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So that's that's all we have <laughs> on Anna. So there's a, a really strong emphasis on her widowhood and um, the fact that she's been a widow for probably about 40 years. She's been single um, without a husband for a very long time. And she spends her time in the temple. Um, we kind of get a sense that she doesn't necessarily live in the temple, but she spends all of her free time dedicated to communi- communication, communion with God um, as a way to as she's waiting for the arrival of this Messiah that's been promised. Um, So she's educated on the prophets. She's educated on the Old Testament. She knows what's coming, and she's waiting for it. And she spends her time praising God and spending time with him, waiting for the arrival of this Messiah. And then when he comes, it says that she goes out and she tells everyone immediately, the Messiah has come, and that's all she's given. But we don't ever actually see any of her words recorded. So actually, the last woman to be given any speech at all is Mary in chapter 1. So, again, we're kind of giving this, like, here's these very powerful characters that have a lot to say, yet now they're silent. And so, again, we're faced with this kind of, is Luke inclusive or not? They're strong players. It's kind of a mixed message. And after last week's sermon, I had a conversation with someone who was really excited to hear um, someone talking about women in the book of Luke or in the Bible and just the power that they have to offer. And he said, I've always wondered if women were not included in the scriptures because it was dangerous for them. And we don't actually know. I mean, we have limited information on what it was like to be a woman in this time period. In the Old Testament, women were included. We see prophets like Deborah, who um, were obviously in (coughs) positions of leadership. But then in the time of Jesus, there was this expectation that women were just expected to stay home and take care of things at home. They weren't supposed to venture out. They weren't supposed to be educated. They weren't supposed to know scripture. And so maybe it was dangerous for them, Um, socially at least. They would be ostracized because they were doing something that they weren't supposed to do. Or maybe they would have been killed. Who knows? We don't know what life looked like for them, but maybe, just maybe, the scriptures left women out so as to keep them safe. Safer, anyways. And maybe that's why we don't have detail. Maybe that's why they're never given language. Maybe that's why they're not given names in a lot of cases. So women um, here in the book of Luke, uh, their primary role really is confined to places like motherhood um, or widowhood. And the emphasis is on their faithfulness, not necessarily the work that they're doing. And again, that could be as a way, as a means to protect them Um, But in any case, we see that Luke is giving them power in whatever way he can. Maybe he's trying to protect them, or maybe because he wasn't an eyewitness account to the life of Jesus, he's just going off of what he has. 
Um, so maybe Luke wants to include these women, but there's not a lot of information outside of their ability to be a mother or their widowhood or their faithfulness as they're waiting for the arrival of Jesus. Maybe he doesn't know their names because no one else wrote them down. Um, maybe no one else is alive that knew their names or the, what they contributed to the story. So after we meet this widow, Anna, the next female character that we're introduced to, um, that's exclusive to the book of Luke anyways, is the widow of Nain. Um, she's never given a name or a voice, but she has a really powerful, pretty short <laughs> story. So we're going to pick up on chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, and we'll read her story. Soon after, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bear they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet was appearing among them, they said. God has come to help us, um, to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So this is another, another one of Luke's parallels. The story right before this is um, the story of Jesus healing a centurion's son. And Jesus uses kind of some of the same language in both of these healing stories. These stories are also reminiscent of uh, healing and miracle stories that we see throughout kind of Greek culture. I remember Luke's primary audience are Greeks, um, Gentiles. And so they would have been familiar with some of this language. They would have been familiar with seeing some of these things and stories that they already had in their culture. But he's also drawing attention to the prophets Elijah and Elisha and resurrections that they um, performed or miracles that they performed in the Old Testament. And that's something that these readers or his audience would have been aware of as well. And in, a, in, in including these stories, Luke is giving Jesus a lot of power and he's saying he's including him in the group of the prophets that they would have already revered they would have already had respect for so Jews are seeing this or even Greeks that know these stories are seeing this and saying like oh wow like this is a big deal Luke is including this man that was executed <laughs> for being a revolutionary in with these people that are very powerful to our history they're very powerful to the movement and if you remember Luke is trying to paint the Roman Empire and the Christian religion as kind of sympathetic towards each other, as a m way to um, kind of integrate the two. Um, as Christians, we have to live in this culture, but also we need to be, we need to respect each other if we're gonna be able to survive, if we're gonna move forward. And so this is kind of a way that he's tying all these things together to paint that respect and to build that relationship in a sense. So Jesus's compassion here um, is directed not towards the dead person, but towards his mother. And so Luke is showing uh, Jesus's compassion ministry, but he's showing it and painting it directed specifically towards this mother. And not because she's lost her son, which sounds unbelievably hard for any parent, but because she not only lost her child who she loves, she lost her livelihood, she lost her source of income, she lost her social order, she's lost everything. Now she's completely alone. She has no one left to care for her. Her husband is gone, her son is gone, 
her only choices now are to rely on the charity of the village that she's in, which may or may not exist or may or may not care that she needs food and she needs a place to live. Or she could beg or she could prostitute herself, but none of those are very good options. So Jesus sees her and sees the grief that she's experiencing because she lost not just her son, but all of these things. And he has compassion on her and he restores her freedom. It might not sound like freedom to live in an oppressive patriarchal society where you have to rely on your son to be able to have food or a place to live. Um, but in this society, that was freedom because now she can trust that she has food on her table and she has a roof over her head and she can live a long life as a mother and a grandmother. I mean, as sure as anybody in this society can be about such things, she is confident that she will be cared for. She doesn't have to rely on the charity of some people that don't know her or maybe don't care because she is forgotten. She's in a marginalized group. And I think that's p powerful. Jesus is giving her freedom to exist in a society where women and widows in particular have none of that. So there are two more stories about widows um, that stand out to me in the book of Luke. One of them is also found in the book of Mark, and a lot of you will probably know this. It's about the woman, the widow who gives all she has. Um, when others are coming in and they're dropping, dropping money in what would be like the offering plate, and they're just dropping in like large amounts of money. And she comes in and she drops very little, but Jesus commends her because she's giving all that she has. Um, so this book is, this story is also found in the book of Mark, like I said, which Luke um, bases a lot of his information off of. A lot of his life, what he recounts as the life of Jesus is found in the book of Mark as well. But there's one other story that I want to talk about that we find only in the book of Luke. And I actually, before I dug deep into this, had never heard anybody preach on this story. So um, I read some books on it and I've kind of talked about it in small groups, but no one's ever done it from the pulpit. And it's found in Luke 18, chap uh, yeah, book eight, chapter 18, sorry. So let's read through that real fast. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring out about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep, off, keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on this earth. And so traditional interpretations, at least as I've seen in small groups and different books that I've read, um, this is really about prayer, saying um, that she's insistent in praying and returning to the judge, or the judge kind of represents God uh, here, and she keeps going and being insistent on what she's asking for. And that's kind of really all that's been talked about um, from my experience, but I think there's so much more to that. Um, Jesus and Luke in recording the parable paint this woman as confident in her ability to represent herself in court, um, as very sure of herself. She 
arrives at court and chooses again to represent herself, which is hard even in this time period, but especially in that time period, women are not supposed to be educated. They're not even supposed to be able to read. And yet she's coming to court and she's saying, I will represent myself and I will stand my ground because I know it's right. And I'm gonna keep coming until <laughs> you can fix this because she's doing everything she can within her own power to fix the problem. She's not just being insistent, she's doing. She's both. She's moving and doing, and she's insistent. And she's using her insistence as kind of a tactic. She also knows that this judge doesn't care about her, doesn't necessarily care about the law. And she's using her insistence not to be annoying or to nag. I've heard a lot of people talk about her as the nagging widow. Um, and I don't think that's what she's doing. I think she's smart and choosing this and she's continuing to show up and say no i will not back away until what is fixed until what has been wronged can be fixed in the same way that a mother a mother is insistent no there's something wrong with my child i need you to pay attention to me and recognize that i know my child more than anyone and i need you to listen there's something wrong and you can fix it you're the doctor right just in that same way that's what she's doing she's going to this judge and in insistence that no the squeaky wheel gets the oil right and um this is so powerful because she's so courageous she is moving forward she's taking steps to move in action to right what's been wronged she's educated she's standing in her independence and a time period when women aren't allowed to have independence at all. Um, so women aren't even allowed to represent themselves in court. Yet here she is doing it day in and day out. It's, it's revolutionary. The story is revolutionary. And I think it's important that we notice that this is a parable. So this is a story that Jesus made up. It's not something necessarily that actually happened. Jesus is using it to tell a point. Um, and he could have made the point that our prayers require action with any story. He could have put a man in this position um, to be the main character in the story and it wouldn't have really changed it a whole lot. But Jesus and Luke are making a point. They're saying, no, women are capable, women are powerful, and we need to trust that they know themselves and they know their situation. We need to trust them to be able to speak for themselves. We need to trust them to have independence. We need to trust them to participate and to add to the conversation to be a part of what we're doing here. Jesus and Luke, through recording this parable, are on the side of the woman. Jesus even calls her one of God's chosen ones. This is another move of Jesus flipping tables of the social order of what's expected. And we see that throughout the book of Luke, but I say particularly in this story, Jesus is calling her important. He's giving her power when she has none. Luke and Jesus are showing a unique love and a unique compassion, particularly to these widows and these stories, but to women in general. Jesus lived a ministry of compassion, we see, and last week we called it a revolution of love, and I think that applies today too. Jesus loves these women. That's why he raises the widow's son from the dead. That's why he tells the story, why Luke tells the story of the widow Anna, when no one else probably even knew who she was. No one else wrote her name down. Luke did, and it was important to Jesus that these stories were told. It was important to Jesus that these, his parables included women. Jesus lived a revolution, and he welcomed all people to fall under his compassion, not just men, but women and children, everyone. 
compassion, the love, the grace, the peace. It's for all of us. Despite what society may say about you, despite what power imbalances you may face, or the stigmas that you have to fight on a day-to-day -day basis, um, whatever community that you exist in and whatever struggles that you face inside of that community, please know that Jesus is rooting for you, just like he was rooting for the widows and the stories that he told um, and the stories that he made up and the women that he encountered across his life. He was rooting for them. He loved them. He had compassion for them. And he does for you too. Collective Church does for you too. We're here for you. We want to welcome you. Um, not to silently participate and sit in the back, but to contribute to what we're doing, to bring heaven to earth now. Because if we exclude voices, we don't get the whole story. We don't get the whole picture. Um, everyone's gonna read this differently because we have a lens that we read it through, right? Um, each group, whether you're um, a white man, <laughs> a black man, um, a heterosexual person, um, wherever you fall, um, you're going to have a different view of all of these stories. And we need all of those stories. We need all of those lenses to see the truth, to see it all. Um, and we can't see them on our own. So we're going to do communion um, as a reminder that you're all welcome to the table to participate, to eat, to be vulnerable, um, and that Jesus loves you. And grace and peace and compassion are for you, for all of us. Um, so you may get you go into the week um, and feel loved, feel the compassion that Jesus has to offer, and may you feel welcome at the table to contribute, not just to sit silently. Grace and peace be with you. This has been the Collective Church Podcast. We post episodes every week on Sundays. If you're interested in supporting our church, you can give at collectivechurch.net slash give. I hope you enjoyed listening.